1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dice Tradecast on Roto-Viz Radio. I'm your host, Nathan Powell, and today uh, it's Memorial Day, so some people are busy with their families, doing some fun stuff. Some people, like Dan, forget that we are recording a podcast, so he is not here. Um, thankfully, this is the day that we actually scheduled a guest, so we're, we're in the clutch. We're still recording. Uh, on another night, we'd be like, okay, on to the next... Also, before I get to our guest, we do have an update. I'm not in a McDonald's parking lot currently. I'm at my parents' house. So uh, shout out to not being at McDonald's this time. But it's been going well at McDonald's. Hopefully my parents' house does just as well. And uh, so tonight we are joined by my good friend, Ryan McDowell. How's it going, Ryan? Going well. Going well. Parents' house is
3: definitely an upgrade from the McDonald's parking lot. So this is, this is going well
1: so far. Excellent, for sure. And the other thing we do have in common, uh, you're a teacher, I'm a teacher. I think both of us had our last day of school on Friday, so we are out for the summer.
3: Yes, yes. I've I've got some, some meetings and some things going on this week, but no more students, and the end is definitely near.
1: Excellent, yes. That is definitely a good thing for us teachers. Um, so let's get into some Dynasty Talk uh, on Saturday night. I got into some rambling as I tend to do on the Twitter with some questions to ask the Twitter community, many, many true or false questions. And so I figured that I would present them to Ryan uh, and Dan, but it's just Ryan tonight. I present the questions to him. Uh, and well, I, obviously we will discuss our takes, basically they're dynasty philosophy type of questions, uh, how we can approach uh, startup years as well as other years in general. But before we get to that, I wanna let you know that you should subscribe to Rotovis. As a little podcast listener, you can get a 10% discount right now through the NFL podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. This offer is good for the remainder of the offseason, I'd assume. So 10% off. Make sure you get it now. Get it good. Lots of great content on on RotoViz. Make sure you support your favorite podcasters, Nathan and Dan and all of the other great podcasts on our network. Let's get it started our first dynasty philosophy question that I opposed to the Twitters. And of course we'll, we'll go and we'll give our takes and then I'll give what Twitter's uh, percentages uh, true versus false were. But our first question, the easiest year in a dynasty league to acquire future picks is the startup year. True or false, Ryan McDonald. Uh,
3: these are all going to be interesting. I, I loved when I saw you put these questions out because they, they definitely got me thinking about the different topics but i didn't look at any of the results i didn't even look at any of your mentions or the poll results so this will be a, a good surprise here for this one i said false i think i think that first year of a startup or or i guess the technically the first few weeks or months of a startup when when you're going through that startup draft so many teams are already looking towards the future wanting to build a young team and a big part of that is trying to acquire those future first rounders usually, but any future first round picks. So I I think it's at times difficult to acquire those future picks during that startup. Then as you, as you get down the road one or two or or more years into the league, then so many owners just change their mindset to trying to win. And and obviously that happens during the regular season uh, that I think picks are probably a little bit easier to acquire outside of year one.
1: Yeah. My initial answer to this one was true, but it's more so because there's more assets to deal in the startup year. You have the startup picks, you have the rookie picks, you have the Debbie picks if it's a Debbie league. So there's a number of ways to uh, sell something for a future pick in the startup year. But if you don't take into account stuff traded during the startup itself, which I, you know is kind of cheating in a way because that doesn't happen in other years. I, I do think that the bunch of playoff teams can be closer in year one than in future years. Like in years two, three, four, super teams, top two or three teams might emerge to where the, you know, the fourth team isn't trading whether future first to try and win a championship. Uh, Whereas in year one, when teams are so close, they might, uh, the fourth team might be trading away future first to try and get up into that number one slot. So I, I said true, but I can see the argument for both sides. Let's move on to our next one, and it's true or false. The easiest year to win a Dynasty League is the startup year.
3: I said true on that one, uh, only because, like I said earlier, so many teams are trying to build those those young teams, and whether you want to call it productive struggle or just trying to build that, that pretty off-season roster, that if you're willing to draft and to rely on uh, these older, established veterans, I think a lot of times you can – you can squeeze out a a year one win and it might be pretty ugly after that.
1: Yeah. I would say that in year one, year one is the most costly win of a championship because in year one, you're sacrificing so much of your future to to win in year one. And that's, and ends up coming up in one of our questions later on. But I I would say that if like, it's one of those things that like, if you're committed to it, if you're going all out for year one, I would say it, it is the easiest year to win but you kind of do have to be that one that does go all out and trades all their future assets or goes super heavy veterans uh, early on in the startup. So it's the easiest to win, but it was also the most costly.
3: I think that's a fair point.
1: Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. I forgot, I forgot to say what the results of the first one were. Uh, the first one were 77% true, 23% false to the easiest year to acquire future picks. So pretty heavily. And yes, the easiest year to acquire future picks is the startup And then in poll two, the easiest year to win a Dice League is the startup year. This one was closer. This one was 56% true, 44% false. So kind of pretty even there saying maybe it isn't the easiest year. But like I said, I think the main point is that if you want to win the startup year, it might end up costing you in the long term. Next one, true or false? The easiest year to productive struggle to a 101 is the startup year.
3: I would say false. And again, that goes in line with the, my responses to the first two questions that it, it seems like 75% of the league wants to, if not lose on purpose and, and get that 101, they at least want to build that young team and often relying on rookies or second year players. And, and a lot of times that does not go well. So whether it's a plan to get the 101 or if it just happens as a result of team building. I feel like in year one, over half the league is is maybe going for a top pick rather than playing for a league title. And then I think, again, as you get into the league two, three, four years, you end up with maybe those two or three super teams, like you mentioned earlier, two or three teams that are just always at the bottom. And then the rest of the teams are in the middle. And I think as dynasty owners, that's that's one of our weaknesses is really taking a – You know a good look at our team and being able to kind of go all in one way or the other
1: yeah i do think this kind of does depend on you know some teams form their their dynasty strategy or their strategy for a startup based on what they think of of the next year's class i know people that Drafted the worst possible team, the youngest possible team just to get Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, the year before he was about to come out in the draft. And I could see that easily happening again, less so with this class of, of quarterbacks and Superflex. But I would say in 2020, in 2020 for the 2021 class, I could see, see startups saying, I'm going to get Trevor Lawrence. I don't care what it's going to cost me. I'm going to take this year one. So I, I think that some of it can can account for how many people are vying for it based on how good the next year's class is. But, yeah, I, I do think that it's one of those things that you do have to – I think it can happen on accident in years two, three, and four. I think you kind you have to actually try for it in, in year one because there's there's so many other teams trying for it that if you're not at least attempting to do it, then someone's going to beat you at it. And the result of that poll was 66% true. Uh, the easiest year to productive struggle is year one. False, 34%. Uh, now we're going to get into some more uh, league-specific ones. We're going to go to the Superflex format. One. You and I, probably our favorite format in general. Uh, Superflex, the easiest time to acquire quarterbacks in a Superflex dynasty league is during the startup. This one was a little tough. I,
3: I kind of flip-flopped on this one a few times, but I settled on false Uh, My thinking was that in a startup, even if you are planning on tanking or or doing a productive struggle year, you're still trying to acquire those quarterbacks. Maybe rather than Roethlisberger, Rivers, or Brady, maybe you're you're taking a shot on Darnold or Rosen or, you know, Haskins, any of these young quarterbacks that are, are still relatively unproven. But in general, everybody's getting their quarterbacks in that startup year. And then, as again as time goes along those teams are changing maybe the the owners of those veteran quarterbacks have have determined that they're they're not contenders and then you can trade for those quarterbacks a lot of times especially like i said those those veterans so i don't think it's i don't think it's the easiest time to get a starting quarterback in year 1
1: yeah and i will say that i think that probably the easiest and most cost effective time to select a quarterback May not be the startup because they go so highly, but I think in rookie drafts may be the best time to acquire quarterbacks. Yes, some some of them do take some time to develop into every week fantasy starters, but in terms of just you know overall dynasty value, they have value immediately. So you, you're wanting to acquire those guys in rookie drafts because they they immediately have the value, and their quarterback is a position that you have value for so long that you know there's a high floor, there's a high ceiling, and so for for me if I'm looking at the most cost effective way to to build through the quarterback position, it isn't through the startup because so many mediocre guys, like you talk about a big Ben, a rivers a a Dalton, some guys that you don't consider long-term assets are going to be drafted in the sixth, seventh round of a startup. Whereas I I think that the cost of a a rookie pick isn't as unnecessary as the cost of a middle round quarterback.
3: I think that's a really good point. And we look at quarterback classes like we had last year, where even guys like Josh Allen were, falling to the second round. We're seeing it this year with uh, Drew Locke and Daniel Jones. And uh, of course, those guys have their their questions and g- kind of their their warts as prospects, but still thinking you could get a potential starting quarterback with a second round rookie pick is, is really pretty wild when you think about it. That, that should be an easy pick in those super flex leagues.
1: Well, this this was one of the most lopsided polls that we had. It might be the most lopsided, but the easiest time to acquire a quarterback in Superflex is the startup. True, eighty three percent, false, seventeen percent. So, people are saying get the, that quarterback in the startup. Don't not in the rookie draft or not in a trade. I, I think the. Part of that might be people weren't thinking of rookie drafts. They were probably just thinking the only way to get it is a trade, and people kind of hold on to their quarterbacks with a death grip. But you do mention that if a team ends up not you know, playing well and struggling in, in year one or year two, they might be more willing to off, off, offset their veteran quarterbacks.
3: Yeah, I definitely see that side of it, and, and I kind of mentioned that in my response, that if you think about a, a startup auction or a startup draft in a Superflex everybody's kind of getting their two starters. And then maybe somebody, you know, maybe an owner goes deeper going after three or four quarterbacks, what have you, but in general, everybody's going to get a couple. So from that point of view, yeah, it's, it's easy because it's fairly spread out, but if you're thinking about top targets, guys who you can rely on as, as weekly starters, those are obviously in, in higher demand, but in some ways, again, I I think, they're easier to trade for than to to take in a startup.
1: Next one, true or false, acquiring a tight end in a tight end premium league, whether it be plus 0.5 PPR, plus 0.5 PPD, or two tight end start in year two is easier than in year one. So it's easier to acquire after the startup year than in the startup. So what are your thoughts on this one?
3: Here I was really focusing on the start to tight end because honestly, the 1.5 PPR, which I guess is kind of the, the most common tight end premium, I just don't even consider it a tight end premium really much anymore. I, I don't factor that into my player evaluation or, or really my strategy very much. But I think when you go to that uh, starting two tight ends, that really, really causes some major changes. So I said, I said false on this one that it is, uh, it is not easier. In year, to acquire
1: them in year two than year one. Yeah, we did talk about uh, we had our tight end episode last week on the trade cast, And basically we talked about if you want there to be a tight end premium, it has to be two tight end. It may end up being a struggle where you have teams starting like, I don't even, I can't even name a bad tight end off my head, but you know, someone who really isn't scoring points. But if you wanna give the, the position some value, that is the way to do it more so than adding points. But in terms of uh, this question, I've always had my tight end premium philosophy that this is true, uh, that um, I've always punted tight ends in tight end premium and the startup with hosts to acquire guys in year two. And what usually ends up happening is that, guys are still holding onto those tight ends very tightly. And I end up just continuing to punt year after year and just, you know, bargain basement shopping, which can end up being a successful strategy. But in the end of the day, I don't get what I wanted, which was my goal was to fade tight end until they get uh, undervalued, but they just never get undervalued because people, you know, continue to value them highly, particularly when they know that the premium is valuable. i going to start to, so, uh, the answer to this one was false, 59% and true, 41%. So a- according to this poll, you do want your tight end in the startup in tight end premium and not in year two. Uh, basically, it sounds like the people think if you want those premium
3: positions, whether it's a, a quarterback in a super flex league, a, a tight end and a start two tight end league, you've got to get them
2: at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com. All
1: right, this one I'm not sure that you play in this format, but maybe you can, you know, give your opinion on the matter. Uh, true or false? Running backs get more expensive as dynasty leagues get older in PPC formats.
3: Yeah, I actually don't play in in a, a point per carry league, and and I struggled with this one. Not not necessarily because of that, but just thinking about the running back position as a whole. We've we've seen that position go through so many changes over the past few years. Uh, I think in general, running backs are getting more expensive uh, regardless of the format. So I, I said true with this one.
1: Yeah, I, I said true with this one and I have a very small sample size. I've only played in the Capitalist Pigs Dynasty League and the startup of pigs to now has kind of coincided with the Renaissance of the running back. But you know, the value of, of a running back is five, six times what it was worth in the startup and Capitalist Pigs. And so part of that might be the running back renaissance, but I do think that people, aka myself, will underrate the premium of point per carry, whether it be 0.25 or however much it may be. You may think, oh, they're not going to score that much more than wide receivers. And then they end up scoring a lot more than wide receivers. Like, you know, the RB14 is bigger, is better than the wide receiver one. You know, crazy statistics like that. So this one was 79% true, running backs get more expensive as the league goes on in points per carry, 21% false. So once again, I guess this, you know, three possessions, three premiums, but they're all saying that the cheapest or the better way to buy would be early on and in the startup.
3: Yeah. So I think that's maybe getting to be almost like the tight end premium conversation. If people are asking me a question, should I make this trade in tight end premium? My recent response is, what is the premium? Because again, if it's just a, a 1.5 then versus a start two, that's that's going to change uh, my opinion on the trade or the draft pick, whatever it might be. And I think with PPC, it might be the same thing. If it's just 0.1, uh, obviously that's not going to change the running back value or, or their production quite as much as like a 0.25 that you mentioned, which is, which is just a huge, a, a major shift. So we throw that term around, but I, I think we, you know, I don't, I don't think that there's necessarily a, like an industry standard for that scoring. So you almost have to specify.
1: Yeah. And I would say if there is a standard, I think the 0.25 is probably the most common, but it is also a very high premium. So some, some do a little bit lower. All right. Next one true or false winning a dynasty league in year four, assuming no prior cash winnings is an effective, productive struggle strategy.
3: This productive struggle thing is, I I like this term. This is a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think I just kind of get the only vote on this one. Only my vote matters, right? I I don't know. I don't know if that's how it works. Um, I would say no, that is definitely not, or I would say false. It's, it's not an effective, productive struggle. Really, to me, the, the idea behind a productive struggle is one or maybe two years as as a struggling team, and then by year two or by year three, being able to compete and and hopefully win a title. But I think four years down the road is is, is just too much, honestly. It's just too long of a time period.
1: Yeah. I had, One of my responses to this tweet was, well, my productive struggle is lose one year, make the playoffs one year win the championship the third year. And I'm like, well, that's not the question. So <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that's a good productive struggle. But, you know, in, in this scenario, oh, at least you could have made the playoffs in years, years two and three, but you know, no cash. And I, I do think that you kind of have to be cash agnostic when it comes to this type of question, because, I mean, it does kind of depend on, like, if, if first place gets you like eight times your winnings, sure, I'll, you know, give up three years worth of cash to get eight times my winnings in year four. But, you know, certainly that is a, a bit of more of a financial question, I guess. But if we're t- talking just like, okay, h- how do I want to win my dynasty league? Year four is a bit late. I, I would I, I would say you need at least one cash. I, I would say you need one cash in years two or three, or a top three finish, as as most would put it. And, and then you can s- consider a championship in year four an effective productive struggle.
3: Yeah, I just think... I think people have thrown around that productive struggle term as basically any, any bad team or any building team is a productive struggle. Uh, but to me, when, when I wrote that article years ago, there were, you know, there were kind of some set parameters as far as how you were going to build that team. And, and honestly, if I, if I wrote it or, or revisited it now, it might be different as the, the running back position is, has really changed over that time. But just because your team is not winning does not mean it's a productive struggle. Uh, Nathan is, as you know, that that term is not one I totally came up with. I just stole it from the education field. And the idea behind a productive struggle in the classroom is that you let the student struggle with uh, with a question or a problem or, or an activity, whatever it might be. But you see, you see the signs and and the the path for them to. Finally, understand and comprehend that, and you just kind of almost let it happen or, or guide that. But at the same time, every student that is struggling is not productive struggling. Some of them are are not on that path to to understanding and to learning. So, and, and it's the same thing. Every every bad team in a dynasty league is not a productive struggle team.
1: Yeah, acquiring thirty two year old running backs as part of your productive struggle does not make it productive. No, <laughs> but the results of this poll were true 72%. So 72% said if you get that championship in year four, it was all worth it. 28% said nope, that's too late, need it earlier on. All right, next one, we're going to go in the opposite direction. True or false, winning a Dynasty League in year one, then going cashless years two through four at least is an effective win now strategy. I
3: would say a pretty strong false. It's always nice to get that championship. And I've heard a lot of people say if you you know, you win the championship one year, that'll pay for the next five or six years. And, and that's fine to think of it that way. But I mean, the goal really is to win as often as you can. And I think a productive struggle uh, allows you to win in year two, three, and so on with one down year. And, and a win now strategy, really an effective win now strategy should get you more than just one successful year I think so if you're winning year one and and then your team is just going nowhere literally that's not effective
1: yeah and if we take the the cash part out of it if we look at just like the pride part like I would say the the year one championship and dynasty is the one that means the least it just means that you overspent on on veterans I know this is coming from two of the guys who care the least about the, uh, about the year one championship, but I, I think it is the least valuable out of, let's say the first five years, the The year one, one was, would be the one I want the least outside of just, you know, wanting the cash now. Yeah, I agree. All right. Next one, true or false. And this one's a bit complicated, but we, I'll, I'll, you know, un, under complicated, if that mm-hmm. makes sense afterwards, true or false. You can be a consistently good team making the playoffs 66% of the time, over a six plus year span in a Debbie league while never participating in the Debbie portion, always trading away Debbie picks as soon as you get them true or false.
3: I think this one's true. Uh, I said true on this, Uh, of course, again, kind of like the point per carry and the tight end premium thing. You kind of have to clarify a little bit. Some, some Debbie leagues are shallow with maybe just one college player per team. And some Nathan, like the ones we play in are, are much deeper with, 30, 40, 50 Devi players rostered at any one time. So, of course, a big difference between those. But in general, I think, yes, you, if you're going to be an active trader, if you're going to hit on your rookie picks, uh, even in a shallow rookie draft, I think you can still be a successful team, make the playoffs two out of every three years.
1: Yeah, it pains me to say it as someone who over invests in Devi, but I, I think that there are times where if I just didn't invest in Devi, my teams would be better off. But the kind of the key to, you know, having an effective strategy with staying out of the Devi is finding the Nathan in your league who always wants the Debbie picks and will pay what me, maybe I might think I'm underpaying, but half the time I'm not, because I'm just, you know, I'm not underpaying because I'm, I'm drafting a bust or I'm, I'm, you know, getting the money that will eventually get me a bust because the, the bust rate is so high with Debbie players. So, I mean, I, I'll say that, if you completely fade Devi in a Debbie league, you're going to miss out on the Saquon Barkley's, the Nikhil Harry's, the Amari Coopers. You're going to miss out on all those guys, but you're also going to miss out on the bus, like the Equinamius St. Brown's the, you know, guys who Calvin Harmon, like guys who go day three, who were being projected as day, day one picks only six, seven months before they were drafted.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. It's um, I'm with you though. It's, I just can't stay away from from those Debbie players. I, in general, I want as many as I can. To me, that that makes the entire experience a little more fun. But uh, I do think you really have to be effective in everything else. Though uh, the rookie draft or rookie auction, the making trades, mining the waiver wire, you really have to nail everything else. I think to be that consistent winner without the Debbie portion.
1: Uh, the answer to the uh, Debbie question was eighty nine percent true. You can win a Debbie league consistently without playing in the Debbie, 11% false. Um, Ooh, so that
3: was that was the biggest margin so far, right?
1: Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds right. I mean, I I, th- I think there's definitely a lot of people in Debbie leagues who employ the strategy. Like, all right, I'll let Nathan and Ryan deal with the Debbies. I'm just going to, you know, take my veterans, take my rookies.
3: Yeah.
1: All right. The next two, neither of us can uh, answer because they are IDP questions. We will leave that to someone else who can answer those. But the, the questions were, true or false, you can win an IDP league with the best offense and the worst defense in the league true 68%, false 32% and true or false you can win an idp league with the best defense and the worst offense. 21% true, 79% false. And most of the comments I honestly these were the ones that I got the most comments on, whereas uh, basically like idp leagues vary so much that in some leagues the defense matters, some leagues it doesn't at all. So, you know, you kind of have to just look at your league format and I guess discuss that with people who know more than that on the on the matter. And then this one is a hotly debated one each and every year. Uh, true or false? Next year's class is overrated every year.
3: I think the people probably said true on this one, but I am going to say false. Um, growing up, my, my dad always taught me some some test-taking tips, and especially when it comes to true-false questions. And when you throw that every year in there, to me, that makes it false because – I don't, think the, I don't think the 2020 class is overrated, and, and we'll find out in a, a year from now. But, yeah, I, I, in general, I, I understand that a lot of people would probably say true to that, but uh, I'm going to say false.
1: Yeah, for me, I'm, I'm going to say there are top Debbie players that are overrated every year, but I think that classes in general – aren't overrated every year because, you know, we pick and choose that some classes are going to just not be as good as the 2020 class or not as good as the 2014. I feel like if we don't see the two or three mega studs, you know, 12 months out, we start to possibly underrate the class in general. So, yeah,
3: well, I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to have this perspective when you get years out, but during that 2017 off season, So, so two years ago, When we had Fournette and Corey Davis and McCaffrey and Mixon and all these guys that were coming in, nobody was really looking forward to the 2018 class. That was that was not one in general, even though it was the Saquon Barkley class. As a whole, that was not one that people were excited about. And then back up to last year, everybody was very excited about the 2019 class, mainly due to the wide receiver depth. And and we see that kind of that kind of fell off with injuries and players going back to school and, and guys like Harmon not ending up with the draft capital that we thought they might have. So, I mean, again, no, I don't think every draft class is overrated because I think every once in a while we have some, we have kind of a dose of reality that we're not as excited. About.
1: Yep. And I, but I, I do think we are going to be very excited about that 2020 class from now. And I, I don't think the excitement will fizzle. I think we'll be excited until now until those rookie drafts, begin. All right. That's our true or false questions. Make sure to check them out on Twitter at NPowellFF. Plug in myself there. And uh, now we're just going to get into a bit of just go over some trades that we found on the DLF trade finder. I mean, all of these involve rookie picks. Some of them, the rookie pick is the central part. Some of them, it's not, but uh, we'll go over them, give our takes and go from there. So our first one, It's going to be – and it's uh, all these are one quarterback unless specified otherwise. First one, 104 in the 2021st or Corey Davis in the 201?
3: This one's – I think it's pretty fair, first of all, but it's also an easy one for me. I'm a little worried about Corey Davis. Uh, I think the the A.J. Brown pick could really end up hurting Davis, uh, and honestly I'd rather have Brown straight up over Davis in a dynasty league. I could definitely get Brown at 1.04. Uh, or, or a guy like David Montgomery potentially, and then if you look at the other portion of the trade, the 2021st versus the 2.01, really love the the late first and early second, the guys that are in that range, and uh, that's that's a huge tier, but still have to prefer the the upside, and you know potentially being a top five pick, uh, we don't we don't know exactly what these what these 2020 picks look like. So I would side with the the two draft picks, the one hundred and four and the twenty twenty first.
1: Yeah, when I first looked at this trade, I was thinking I was going to go Corey Davis because when I think about it, I'm like I'm not sure, totally sure that any player after Nikhil, Harry, Josh Jacobs should be over Corey Davis. If we're talking about AJ Brown, Miles Sanders, Dave Montgomery, like I think all three of those guys and Corey Davis are all very close in value. So if we're just talking about you know, those players versus Davis, you might say that Davis has the higher ceiling this year, but those guys also have much higher floors a year from now, because all those guys can basically bust and and they'll still have very close to the same value a year from now. That won't be the case if, if Corey Davis doesn't put numbers up this year, he's going to fall to like the ninth, 10th round of startups. So with, with that being said, I'm going to, you know, take the, the floor of the 104 And then also the ceiling of the 2021st, because the ceiling of the 2021st is exponentially higher than that 201. I do like the players in that range as well. But at the very least, that 2021st is going to be a higher pick than that 201 is, because that's just how picks work. Let's go to our next one. And it's going to be the 109 and Hunter Henry versus Darius Geis and a 2023rd. Yeah,
3: this is is the closest one for me. Uh, and, And again, I really went back and forth on it in general, I would be selling Darius guys. I've got some, I've kind of got some concerns that we're valuing him as, as close to, I don't want to say an elite dynasty asset, but, but close to that. He's I think a a third or fourth round startup pick and not sure he's, he's really deserving of that uh, versus the one nine and Hunter Henry. So really, really close for me. I, I still think I would side with guys here just on the upside that he does hit. He becomes that every down back for the Redskins. Uh, but this is the, like I said, definitely the closest one for me.
1: Yeah. And this might be one that this is a trade that if I'm the guy owner, I'm making this and obviously there's not really a way to see this on the, on the trade finder, but this is a trade that I'd make when the 109 is on the clock if there's a guy that has fallen, like I've seen AJ Brown fall to the 108, 109. And if we're talking about AJ Brown and Hunter Henry versus guys, I'll take AJ Brown, and Hunter Henry rather easily. But if my top five, top six are not on the board, no one has fallen to that 109, then I, I tend to lean guys. I've never been the biggest Hunter Henry fan. I guess this is kind of his prove-it year. It's going to be his first year where he doesn't have to worry about Gates. Gates might still be on the roster, but he's not an NFL player anymore. So it's really his time to show whether he's a top five tight end, like you know many of his most ardent believers believe. So it kind of just depends on who's available at 109. But let's assume that my top guys are not there. Then I'll, I'll say guys. Next one. We're going to do a couple of the 101 super flex. So we're talking Kyler Murray, folks, because – Unless you're Russell Clay, who uh, took Harry 101 in a superflex.
3: <laughs> oh no. I didn't I didn't know this. This is bad news.
1: <laughs> I, I need he,
3: I need a minute.
1: He said he really wanted a Harry share, and that was his only one oh one, so that's why he did that. But Russ, anyways. Russ,
3: Russ, 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 Russ.
1: <laughs> uh, we have the 106 and Jimmy Garoppolo or the 101 and Superflex.
3: Uh okay so 106 maybe that's Dwayne Haskins or maybe it's maybe it's David Montgomery somebody like that is certainly going to be a valuable player so this is this is not a throwaway pick for me it comes down to, just to some uncertainty about Jimmy Garoppolo this time last year we were treating him like basically like a top 5 quarterback for really no reason and, and now i don't know maybe maybe we're doing almost the same with Kyler Murray now but uh he He's got more weapons than Garoppolo does now or did last year. This is a pretty expensive price to pay to get up to 101 but I would I would still do it I'm taking Kyler Murray here
1: see I, I'm taking the Garoppolo side here because there are so many ways for that side to win and so yep. many ways for the Kyler Murray side to lose. I understand that Kyler Murray is probably the only piece in this deal that could be a top ten overall startup pick but you know, you don't need to be a top 10 overall startup pick to win this trade. You could have a late second and an early third, a late second and an early fourth startup pick, and it'd be worth more than the ceiling of Kyler Murray. So, I mean, when I'm looking at the 106, I'm looking at the possibility of uh, Sanders, Montgomery, or Haskins, or even A.J. Brown, who, who I'm obviously high on because he's come up in every single one of these pick conversations. But if I can get guaranteed, I mean, it's not guaranteed, but if most likely get one of the two running backs – or Haskins, I think that's a win with Garoppolo over Kyler Murray. All right, this is the last one. I, I after your last answer, I'm pretty sure I'll know your I know your answer to this one. So I'll leave this one off. 102 and Marvin Jones for the 101 and Superflex. I I understand the love for Nikhil Harry. I mean, I I posted. Um, I think it's a uh, sticky. Adam Zekis uh, has a tool that you can see your shares on MFL, and so I went to it. And I'm I play in 17 dynasty leagues and I have seven shares of Nikhil Harry. And I posted it on Twitter and someone's response was you had seven 101s? And I'm like, Well, no, <laughs> I I had three Devi, two auction, two 101s. Like <laughs> so, anyways, I'm not sure why I told that story, but I like I like Nikhil Harry, but if, you, if you're going to go from the 101 to the 102, if you're going to make that drop, I want a piece that's more valuable than Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones is a very good fantasy player, a guy who I want on my fantasy teams, but he's not a league winner. He's not a guy that's going to be changing your, your team, changing your team from a rebuilder to a contender. So I, I want a game-changing piece if I'm giving up Kyler Murray, which maybe is hypocritical after I just took Jimmy Garoppolo and a 106 for Kyler Murray.
3: Well, no, I don't think that's hypocritical at all. I think uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has a lot <laughs> – has a, a, a much better chance of being uh, a game-changing player or uh, a difference-making dynasty asset than Marvin Jones does, which he doesn't really have any chance. <laughs> like you said, he's he's a nice player. He might even be a fantasy starter this year again. You never know. But I, I mean, I've said this before. I, I think I've probably said it on your all show. The bigger a trade gets, the more players fit in that group of throw-in players, and in a big trade like this, Marvin Jones is, is basically a throw in. He's a toss in and you need much more than that to even to go up just one pick. So yeah, Kyler side again here for me.
1: Yeah. This, the only real scenario where you make this deal is if you're Russell Clay and you really want a Harry share and you're like, well, you know, if, if this is the only way I'm going to get a Harry share, then is then the way I'll do it. So Yeah. I mean, honestly
3: what- that, that would be if you're set on taking nickel harry or or josh jacobs or you just don't believe in, in kyler murray in general which is there's reasons to have concerns for sure then yeah you should absolutely trade down rather than taking someone else
1: all right actually that, that we'll wrap up with that's an interesting point about kyler having concerns i i think this has kind of had a wide range of opinions uh throughout fantasy football do you have any baseball concerns with kyler murray
3: I don't really have any baseball concerns. No, no, I think, I mean, we're looking at a, at a five-year contract and I, I just think he's locked in for those five years with the Cardinals. Um, I, I can't, after basically leaving one sport for, for another, I can't, I mean, I really just can't see him doing it again, at least until that contract runs out. It, it's also I mean, I know he was a, a top 10 pick in, in the baseball draft, but even those top 10 picks and, and even first rounders are certainly not guaranteed to, to ever make the major leagues, let alone to do it quickly. So if we're fast forwarding five years down the road and, and he's uh, 26, 27 years old, that's not the type of player you want to where you want to start your baseball career in in single A. So I don't really have baseball concerns. I think it's fair to have size concerns. I think it's fair to have concerns about uh, about Kingsbury and even with Larry Fitzgerald there, it's going to be a very uh, young offense in general. Uh, I think, I think Murray's dynasty value is really getting propped up right now and maybe even overvalued right now by so many of the seasonal uh, experts and even DFS experts really pumping him up, which which is fine. Uh, obviously, they're all entitled to their opinion. But I, I think that can impact the way dynasty players uh, think about these players as well.
1: Yeah, and I'll get my opinion on the baseball thing. I actually didn't really even think of this until I asked the question. But really, the only way he goes to baseball is if he's a terrible bust in the NFL. So if you have baseball concerns, you should really have football concerns. Cause the only yeah. way he's going to baseball is if he's bad at football. So I, mean, yeah, I don't I mean, think.
3: Report- right. That's, I think that's a, a great point. If we're looking at uh, Jamarcus Russell or Tim Tebow, I'm trying to think of the, the first rounders who, who didn't even fulfill that contract.
1: Paxton Lynch.
3: Yeah. Paxton Lynch. <laughs> that's, that's basically what it would have to be where he gets cut before, uh, prior to those five years. And and if that's the situation, like you said, then <laughs> we've got bigger issues.
1: All righty. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on, uh, Ryan. I know everyone knows where to find you, but feel free to to plug what you got.
3: Uh, sure. You can find me on Twitter at RyanMC23 and find most of my work at DLF.
1: All righty. Thanks a lot. And thanks for uh answering our true or false questions it was fun and thanks to myself for randomly doing that on saturday night and giving us a show topic <laughs> all righty that'll wrap us up make sure you leave a rating in review uh make sure to say how great it is without dan that's pretty great and uh five stars rating your review and we'll talk to you guys next week
2: The Gap Factory Labor Day sale is happening now. Hurry in for the best deals of the season, 40 to 75% off everything, plus doorbusters August 30th through September 2nd only. Tees from $4.99, logo styles from $16.99, and jeans from $19.99. Shop in-store today at Gap Factory or at GapFactory.com.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history.